You are listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash CivCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CivCast. My name is Kyle, and I am joined here today by my co-hosts, Dan and Valter. Hi, Dan. Hey, Kyle. Hi, Valter. Happy Patch Week, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Dan. Yes, and uh, hi, Valter. Um, we got some hey, a lot of news to talk about here. We have the announcement of Cyrus of Persia and Alexander the Great of Macedonia. Now, we didn't actually get these guys in our hands like we were hoping for going into the weekend. Uh, following the Australian summer patch that we had a couple weeks back, uh, and looking at their announcement timeline, we had expected that we might have this patch in our hand as of Friday, what was that, today's the 26th, so what, the 24th? Didn't end up happening, um, which is kind of maybe us jumping the gun in a way, but I mean, they had followed those steps before. Guys, did you expect to have this already? Maybe. I really did. It's... it's well... Go ahead. It's more also that I kind of hope we would have them than expected because it was really short time. Like, but they did it last time, so there was a large chance. Right? It's like being expectant, yeah. but also having the evidence to back up why we were so expectant. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, and I was kind of hoping to give them a shot over the weekend, especially Alexander and Macedon, which looks completely badass. But whatever. I mean, I'm sure that we'll probably get it like Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday or something like that. I wonder. I'm very curious. I hope so. Do we have to wait a whole another week? I mean, will they do another Friday release? I mean, that's what they did for Australia. So we'll just wait eagerly, I guess. Uh, we'll wait with bated breath. Yeah. So before we get into all of that, because there's a lot to talk about there. Well, kind of a lot. We, we know that there's a spring patch coming, but we don't have too, too many finite details. So before we even jump into that whole thing dan we've got the uh end of our march civcast challenge do you want to give us a, a nice summary and shout out to some of those players absolutely so thank you to everyone who participated in the civcast challenge for the month of march it was the most heavily participated in of any of the challenges we've had yet and i do think fellas that the switch to uh to a monthly challenge was was a good idea it was the right thing to do i do feel like we had a lot more engagement this month right Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like yeah. um, very crazy wins, which I'm sure you're going to tell us all about. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's some fantastic stuff here. So I'll start at the top. Um, Thomas at Tomco, T-H-O-M-C-O. This was his first Civcast challenge, and he submitted to us. His opponent was Brazil, and he was victorious. It looks like by domination in turn 192. So Brazil is an interesting Civ because I think we would definitely all agree that they're a bit more of a passive Civ and not one that we'd consider to be a military powerhouse. Mm -hmm. And it looks like Thomas um, maybe slow-played it a little bit and tried to build up a, a strong enough army to take him down in one fell swoop, and by the looks of it, he did. So bravo to him. Um, next up, we have a guy who's uh, submitted before, that would be David at Wimbledog on Twitter. Uh, his opponent was Norway. So definitely a more aggressive Civ, but maybe not on a Pangea map. Maybe not one that you necessarily had to worry about as much. Um, David was victorious on turn 181. 
Uh, he did it via religious victory. So props to him for taking it a little uh, in a different direction. All these victories were domination or religious based. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, no real, I, I think it'd be pretty darn impossible to win again in a one V one and things like uh, culture, for instance, but David was, um, I don't know if you saw this, Kyle, but David uh, posted on Twitter a picture of his computer as he was on the load-in screen. And right beside his laptop, he had this fantastic little Australian mascot. Did you get a, did you get a chance to see that? I did see up? that, yes. Yeah, it was this adorable little uh, wallaby mascot that he had perched there, giving him good luck. So I guess that it paid off for him because he managed to pull that one out in turn 181. So good for him. Next up, uh, we have a fellow who's, oh man, you know what? I, I might need your guys' help with this. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Wouter or is it, is it, is it Wouter? Or I think what it's is Wouter. Wouter? Yeah. <laughs> Any help Almost. there? Almost. <laughs> Wouter. Wouter. Wouter yes. fin- I know. Oh, darn. I know. Wouter uh, finished it on turn 99 uh, with a religious victory against Skidia. Wouter, do you want to share with us how that game went for you? Uh, yeah, it's been about a month now because I pretty much did it after we went to the. It came out what the requirements were for the game, but uh, it was uh, quite a tough one. It was against Scythia, which is super annoying, especially she likes to be religious as well. So uh, I, I tried to convert her cities, and uh, luckily she expanded fast as well, so I could convert some cities on the fringe and uh, convert 50% of her empire just before she did me. Bravo, sir. And under 100 turns. So you were the first guy to kind of crack that 100 turn barrier. Next up, we have Cole at Cole Strader on Twitter. Uh, I, I teased this last week because as of last week, this was the this was easily the, the fastest one. Cole was up against Egypt and he was victorious on turn 54. Now, Egypt is, you know, relatively underpowered, in my opinion. And if you look at Cole's map, it looks like he uh, he was able to surround her and kind of pincer movement down with some early military units quite easily and quite quickly. But he does have a fair amount of units. So, I mean, it's not as though he just like bum rushed with three archers. However, the next three gentlemen managed to pull out a feat that I didn't really think was possible. <laughs> and we'll start we'll start with our friend Rick. But I got to specify which Rick this is because there's a couple. I feel like the only people who, who listen to this show are named Rick. Kyle. Yes, we have about 20,000 Ricks 20, yeah, that listen. We have, we just, I thought I was going to end at 20. Yeah, it's Rick Cast. Oh, I'll just change the name right now. <laughs> Here we go. Do it with a, with a picture of Rick's logo. So Rick TTT at Rick TTTEN. He managed um, a very quick victory. Now, for Rick, this is kind of great because he got uh, Congo. And I think that Rick had mentioned that um, on Reddit, or someone had mentioned to you on Reddit, Voucher, that Congo would be the ideal sim to go up against here because that would basically make a religious victory a, a guaranteed thing. Yeah, it's definitely true. They can't form a religion. That means they can't really guard against <laughs> your religion coming in to take over town uh, much. In yeah, fact, so he might mean, beg for it, right? He'd be like, send me your religion. <laughs> they do like it I as want well. to lose. Yeah. <laughs> You'll make friends with him along the way. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like Rick, uh, man, I don't know if this is Rick's first roll or what, but he managed to roll into the Congo. And Rick was victorious on turn 35. So, wow. I mean, he, he had a post that talked about how this Civcast challenge kind of didn't really allow people necessarily to lean into the bonuses of Australia. And you know what? In hindsight, he's right. 
Um, we were trying to just create a fun kind of uh, way for you to try Australia in a scenario that we really hadn't tried before, the whole 1v1 duel. But it became pretty quickly apparent that a 1v1 duel doesn't necessarily allow you to check out the bonuses or advantages of a sieve. Nonetheless, bravo to Rick. Next up, we have a guy who I believe this was his third CivCast challenge completed, and that was Zoom WSU at Zoom WSU on Twitter. He went up against Poland, a sieve that if he let grow and let expand, probably would have been uh, a huge pain in the butt for him later on. But, you know, fortunately enough, he didn't because he was victorious on turn 30. Wow. That's right, turn 3-0. I'm blown away. With a domination victory, which is just craziness. So... Uh, bravo to him. Um, that that's that's impressive, and that would have taken the victory were it not for someone who came in just under the wire yesterday. And like I teased earlier, this is Rick Cast, so of <laughs> course the Civ Cast challenge had to be won by a Rick, and this one was won by a new Rick at RV Hendricks with an extra S on Twitter. This Rick was victorious against Sumeria, who I believe last week we teased would have been a sieve that was kind of hard to go up against in this kind of scenario. Um, but this Rick was victorious on turn 25. Whoa. Two, five. 25 turns into the game and he won? He insane. won the game in 25 turns. Totally insane. It is. And I, I, he posted a little Twitter story thing for it there. And um, he made the joke at the start that, like Australia has tons of fantastic bonuses and unique abilities, none of which he would be using that game. And it turned out he didn't need to use any of them because it looked like he um, captured two of the Sumerian settlers. Sumeria sent out his first two settlers in an effort to build second cities, and uh, Rick captured both of them and surrounded Gilgamesh um, quickly and in 25 turns, which I think for me is about the time that I finished researching my second uh, technology <laughs> had won the damn game so props to rick for that he is our victor but you know like i said at the start guys of uh, this episode it was great to see all the engagement and the participation this month i know that it was um a bit of a different challenge this month and maybe not one that allowed you necessarily to lean into the bonuses of australia um nonetheless you guys seem to have a lot of fun with it um, bravo, especially to those last three gentlemen and their victories within 35 turns. Um, just a little teaser for the next CivCast challenge, which will be coming next week. Uh, it is going to be a much, much bigger scenario um, and maybe a much, much more true to life one. Um, I did want to wait to unveil that until Alexander and Cyrus come out. But nonetheless, congratulations to any, everyone, anyone who participated, including our good friend Vouter. Um, Thank and, you. Uh, we look forward to another fantastic challenge with uh, some really great participation in April. Yeah, thank you so much for recapping that, Dan. And if you want to check out their stories, we've retweeted. Almost, I think we've retweeted every single one that I've gotten. So uh, you can find everyone's details there, especially for the people that did those nice uh, detailed stories. Maybe you can pick up some tips and tricks for those, see how they managed it. Because uh, I believe looking at like Rick's and all, well, I think probably all of the Rick's did detailed things on our reddit i believe if memory serves they um posted their the stories Ricks. yeah i think both of them or yeah. at least yeah so you can yeah, check those I've out i've seen them on the reddit yeah and that's uh that's our backslash civcast on reddit so you can go find that and then uh let's let's segue right into these guys that you just mentioned dan we've got two new civilizations coming out that were 
I, it seems like across the board, we're very, very excited. So we've got Cyrus of Persia and Alexander the Great of Macedonia. First, uh, we, we learned earlier this past week about Persia. I think that was announced on Tuesday or Monday, something like that. So yeah, Tuesday. I Tuesday. Think. What a nice way to start off the week. That was I always love seeing that. It's such a good notification whenever they say there's going to be a new sieve. Let's go through these guys maybe one at a time here and uh, talk about what stands out right away. So looking at uh, looking at Persia and Cyrus II, he has the unique ability uh, – who wants to say this? Satrap- satrapies? Did I do it? Did I do it wrong? Satrapies? Satrapi- I don't know. Oh, yum, pies. I watched the video, but I can't remember Satrapies, what I think. Ha! Ah. Well, now we're split down the middle. So anyway, he gains a free trade route upon researching the political philosophy civic as well as bonuses to international trade routes. Let's just stop right there for a second. Guys, where do we stand on that free trade route upon researching political philosophy? It's not international. It's internal. Oh, did I say international? Thank you for the catch there. That is a big difference. So that's bonuses internally within the country. So big difference. Um... Where do we? But where do we stand, though? Worth it, Valter? I mean, um, special? Yeah, I think it, it is quite worth it, actually. Uh, an extra trade route is always good. And since I personally feel like internal trade routes are a lot better than external ones, getting a boon to that is always good. What I'm not really sure of is how much of a bonus the internal trade route is. What I've seen is I believe it was one culture and one gold. If that doesn't go up by the ages, it quickly falls by the wayside as not important at all. But in the beginning, that can be really big boon. Yeah, because that's that's the unique. Um, that's for the whole. Uh, that is all of Persia that keeps that bonus. It looks like because um, his leader ability is the fall of Babylon, which lessens diplomatic penalties when declaring surprise war. All units gain an additional movement point upon the declaration of a surprise war. So we've got some encouragement to just launch surprise wars. No, no need to go with the formal. Um, you can just. I, but I, I guess that really focuses on the early gameplay, which is what Persia is clearly focused on. Yeah, I do think so. And looking at satrapies or satrapies, um, the whole free trade route thing, I think, is is great on one hand. And I like it. Um, everyone rushes political philosophy as a civic pretty early on. I think that's fair to say. You guys mm-hmm. do kind of prioritize that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you can get your three government types. So everyone will, will rush that. And the bonuses to the internal trade routes, I'm curious to see. I do think... I'm not sure if I necessarily think that that free trade route is inherently all that great. If it had been a free trade route plus a free trade unit, I think it would have been a lot more beneficial because a trade route is great, but that still requires you to build a trader unit. So I'm not so sure I feel like that is as beneficial as it could be. And I guess my my question is, where does it, I mean, does it stack up against other sieves? Uh, unique ability there. I mean, not that I, I'm a guy that loves a trade route. You know, if I have 20 some trade routes towards the end of the game, that is a good game. Um, but does it, is it really that powerful? I'm curious to see how that pans out. That's- it really depends pretty much uh, if his ability uh, plays out for a long game as to how much internal trade route bonus exactly is, as far as I know. There hasn't been a concrete evidence of what it is. At least I haven't seen it. And uh, if it does increase, for example, with time, 
then it's absolutely worth it because you will be playing with trade routes, internal trade routes for pretty much the whole game until you research globalization or something like that. And if you keep running like 12 trade routes or something like that, that can be a huge boon, uh, especially if it is to golden culture, which is always nice to get. So the fact that you don't get a free trade route with it, I don't mind that so much. Uh, a, tra- a, tra- a trader itself is not that difficult to buy or build. Therefore, I don't mind that I don't get it for free. How does I think it'd be a fair question along the lines of what Kyle was saying. I, I do off the top of my head, I can think of two other sieves that have trade-based unique abilities. There's Rome, which gives you the plus gold um, mm-hmm. when they're passing through cities with the trading post. And then there's Philip and Spain, which gives you bonus gold for trading routes and extra continents. I think it's fair to say that this one's a bit more straightforward than either of those two. Do you think this is it's it's as beneficial? I think it's more comparable with Russia straight uh, route thing, which he gets if you're if you're behind oh, on yeah. the times, you get a bonus on science, and I think culture as well. Uh, it's more palpable to that one, and okay. compared compared to uh, the other ones, I think this one is by far stronger because you will get a lot of benefit from this. Spain's you need to have a different continent to send trade routes from, that is difficult by itself already, especially in the and early game. you just. Ha- yeah, and it really depends on like circumstances. Like you can't focus on it much either. You just need to be lucky. I can see and this for Rome. Yeah, it, it, Rome gets a small benefit, but I think that this benefit is stronger, as in it will give you more than just the gold that Rome gives you. I can see there being a benefit to you. It's going to help you settle and improve your other cities, your new cities faster. Because, well, at least if if you play like Kyle does, which is maybe not the best. But, I mean, as soon as I settle a new city, I try to get a trade route coming from it to my capital to get that food and production moving in that direction to kind of pump it up, give it that bonus. So to immediately be gaining some culture and gold on top of that is just a nice extra bonus. I mean, maybe you can... Maybe you can kind of reuse some of that gold to buy buildings in that city. You know, who knows? Uh, but let's let's look at let's skip the unique unit for one second because I feel like that's going to be a bigger one. Let's look at the uh, unique improvement here. Who who wants to say this one? <laughs> the Paradisia. Paradisia. Good good effort. I have no idea. Parad- I think Paradisia. it's close enough. I know Paradisia? the word paradise comes from it. Oh, goody. Well, the Paradisia, Paradisia, whatever, provides culture, gold, and appeal. Also provides bonuses with adjacent districts and city centers. Gains even more bonus with the progression of civics and technology. So, again, something like... um, Something like we just had with uh, Australia, this is this this unique improvement is going to increase over time. So that's good. So with civics and technologies, we're going to get more culture, gold, and appeal from it. Anyone have any huge thoughts on this this uh, improvement? No. Personally, I'm never that big of a fan of their uh, special buildings you can build with a builder uh usually the the australian one is i think an exception but most of them are not that great and i think this one is not that great either do we think maybe the appeal thing will help maybe i just don't see a lot of synergy here i mean it doesn't seem to me necessarily like it would it would be anything that would help you snowball into any kind of surprise war or into any kind of rush which seems to be the inherent kind of um play style of persia and 
again, we have to see the numbers. If the numbers are, are, are OP, like plus three, plus four, but I don't think they're going to be that. So I see it as pretty, I don't know, underwhelming. And the adjacent districts and, and adjacent city centers bonuses is kind of a throwaway because the vast majority of unique buildings have something equivalent to that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think this one's that, that great, to be honest, like we're saying. I mean, Australia's was great because it came with production and food, and this one is just culture, gold, and appeal. So, curious to see how the appeal works out. I don't know if that's going to make it so you can build bigger cities because your neighborhood's being next to them. Maybe that'll be nice, but uh, I, I don't know. Okay, let, let's get in here and talk about this unique unit because we are very... I don't want to say we're internally divided, but we're very, very, very questioning this one. So we're getting the Immortal, uh, which is a swordsman replacement, unfortunately. I would have rather seen it be an archer replacement. And I say that because it gets a ranged attack, but has strong combat defense. Now, Valter, you told us before in our cold open chat that... uh, that this thing won't be able to siege cities personally. It has no physical melee attack, right? It literally is, for all intents and purposes, an archer. The only difference is that it has about double his melee strength. That's it. It's just the exact same range strength as well, the same range, but it just has a better melee strength and a different technology requirement. Hmm. Dan, your thoughts? Well, I didn't know that until Voucher mentioned that to us off air, and that makes me decidedly more underwhelmed by it. I mean, I think that if you combine the leader ability Fall of Babylon, which I think is the best part of um, Cyrus's kit here, if you combine that, yeah, if you combine that with the Immortal, um, you can maybe get a really strong early game kind of quick attack rush with some archers. Um, and some Immortals, and maybe even if you're in Siege Tower range, you can get a few of those, and you could have a really quick and really successful fight on your hands. But I think that for sustained battles, you know, you get, okay, you get increased combat defense, but I can't imagine that that combat defense will meet out any kind of, um, you know, uh, any kind of attack, front attack from a, a cavalry set or anything like that. So I do see them as being... Um, situationally and appropriately beneficial to Cyrus's specific ability and the style that you might adopt there. But I don't know, it just, ah, it it feels, I I like Persia and I like some of their stuff and I'm obviously going to be excited to play as them and against them, but it feels like a lot of this is kind of disjointed. But you have to look a little bit out of the box, I think, to see a couple of his strengths as well. So Fall of Babylon, I agree, that's by far the best part of his whole, whole set. But what it also what it says is all units gain additional movement points upon the declaration of surprise war. And the key word in this sentence is all. Because not only your military units will be moving faster, but your civilian units as well. And that's yeah. really useful. Hmm. And that that's that a makes it a lot, a lot better all of a sudden. Because civilian units are always too slow you can never have too much movement on them i often take the policy to get plus one movement when they start in my own territory not for my military units but for my civilian units so you can start a a a surprise war with somebody you don't have borders with who's far away just to gain that boost for all your civilian units profit 
Well, that's a great idea. And then theoretically, if you're wanting to like do some kind of rush war on someone who's nearby, you could forward settle really quickly too. You can pump <laughs> out a settler and get increased movement from them. And then your home front could be buffed significantly more by builder movement. That's a good point. I didn't think about that actually. That's that's that that makes me think a little bit more highly of him. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, he's he's not the best guy ever. Um, but he has some pretty good upsides working for him. I think the Satrapies will be fine. It won't be overpowered, but it will be fine. And Fall of Babylon is actually a really good thing for him itself. Hmm. I'm very excited to try him out. I, I, again, I Vowder, good point. You're making me think of him in a whole different way. Now I really want to get in there, and we just need to see these nitty-gritty details. I mean, again, if these perks wind up being very high in their, in their numbers, these this guy could be great. But I'm also a little skeptical at the same time. Healthy skepticism. That's it, fair. It I don't think well, they're going to be, sorry, Voucher. I don't think they're going to no, be God tier out of the gate like Australia was and like Poland almost was. Because that's another thing to compare them to as well. Right. It's the two cities that are released to this point. And we all agreed that Australia alongside Germany is, is God tier and was out of the gate. Um, and Poland, when they were released, I remember our discussion was that they were also strong. And at this point, they probably stand still as a top five sieve. So I don't think that Persia is going to be nearly as strong as those two sieves out of the gate. And that's kind of what we talked about before, right? We don't want to have God tier sieves all the time. We just want to have good sieves who are good mediocre sieves in a mid range. I think this will perfectly fit in that category. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Now, before we move on to Alexander here, Voucher, thank you for throwing this in and reminding us. We are getting two extra wonders in this uh, in this DLC as well, which I think is a really good way to do it. Now, does anyone remember? Is this how extra wonders were released in Civ Five? They they were all in actual expansions. Is that right? Were there any? Yeah, for DLC? I'm pretty sure they were all. I'm pretty sure they were all in extra expansions. I don't remember any of them being in DLC. I, I don't think they were in DLC either. I like it. I'm fine with this. I don't know. I, I guess it does restrict people that don't buy the DLC from getting new wonders, though, because uh, if you do shut off the Viking DLC sort of thing from when Poland was released, you don't get those extra wonders in game. At least that's what the additional content menu implies. The natural wonders for that one. Yes, mean. yes. Thank you, natural. Yeah. Those were natural wonders. Were there any actual real buildable wonders? Not that I know. They did city-states. That's what it was. It was city-states and natural True. wonders. So I guess you, you know, you can shut those guys off, which I don't know. It's just, it, it's okay for me. I like it. it it's a way of, of parsing out this content over time. So we have the Museum of Holocarnassus, which grants you a free general uh, and great engineers get extra free use. Free admiral, oh, actually. Oh, why can't I not read today? Thank you. Please keep correcting me, Valter. I need it. You're welcome. Uh, so what do you guys think about this one? Because free admirals never entertain me. I don't i mean we know that naval combat's not where it should be it's not but you but you like naval combat though don't you Kyle? yeah but i never use the admirals i mean they're pointless to me to be very very honest like yeah. having i mean playing as england a lot and someone who gets um all the royal navy dockyards i get those free admirals just pumped out and i am always underwhelmed by having them i'm just like okay i let them yeah. usually sit at my harbor and never use them. I mean, I could send them out with the fleet. There's nothing against that. If anything, it would just give my people like a bonus, which is what I usually end up doing is linking them. But they just underwhelm me like crazy. And maybe that's because there isn't really a strong naval combat thing happening. You know, I, I don't need my units to be stronger because there's no one else in the seas to fight them. 
Yeah, that's fair. I think the mausoleum of Halicarnassus is going to look cool because if you Google what that thing is, it's actually really, really badass looking. Um, so that'll yeah. be fun. Um, but yeah, free admiral. I mean, I'm like you, Kyle. I get a lot of free admirals, and their their one time usage bonuses are usually pretty underwhelming as well. I am yeah. curious what great engineers get extra use is going to entail because I think we could all agree that great engineers are fantastic. Um, but I can't imagine that they're going to. I mean. Maybe maybe one extra. No, that wouldn't make any sense. I don't know what that bonus would be for great engineers. Well, would it be that you know because they can rush wonders? So you do get one more charge to like rush a wonder. You could get one yeah. more use to those. Um, because they can improve the the appeal of tiles in a city. I guess you could probably use an extra charge on that. Yeah, but it's actually far greater than that. The the biggest part comes near the end of the game, where you get Space. extra bonuses for. Space uh, uh, projects, pretty much. So I don't uh, think it's, there's an engineer that allows you to get plus one hundred percent production of uh, those units or of those projects, which will bring it to two hundred percent. That's a big, big increase. That is. That's a good call voucher. And just for that, it's already worth it. And if I'm correct, there is also a great engineer that literally gives you, uh, yeah, there's one that gives you 1500 production towards space race project construction itself as well. That becomes all of a sudden two times 1500 production. Hmm. That's two projects done. Wow. But with one engineer. It's worth building that in the early game and saving up your all your gold or whatever just to buy uh, Sergei Korolev or Werner von Braun. Those guys can win you the game heftily. Yeah, I'm just looking at the list right now. And a guy like Gustav Eivold too, where you can get huge production boost towards Wonder Construction. This would synergize well with that. Yeah, so, so this is actually, in the beginning when you build it, you're not going to get much use out of it. But in the long run, you're going to love it. I'm excited. I'm sold. Uh, especially, it seems like something that would be great for Germany to get. I mean, that really would help them because with their Hansa, they're getting those extra uh, engineer points. So I'm assuming that those two become very intertwined very quickly, that Germany should always be gunning for the uh, mausoleum of Halicarnassus. Yeah, definitely. I think there, there, there are just too many good, great engineers. Great engineers are one of the few categories whom I would want all of them. <laughs> and therefore, it's going to be an amazing boost if you can just use them more often. I mean, that that's exactly what you want, right? Yeah. I mean, it's always great engineers and great merchants for me. Those are the ones I'm always gunning for because the merchants give you the, the appeal, so, or not appeal, but um, the like trading things and the uh, economic policy slot. It's always those two that I'm gunning for, merchants and engineers. Scientists are really good as well. There are some really powerful scientists in there. You know me. I don't play a science game, Valter. <laughs> I kid, but I don't. Uh, up next is the Apadana. 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 Yeah. Did I get it? Maybe. <laughs> this I is a hell so. of a pronunciation-based patch here, man. We're going to have a tough time. Apadana. Okay. The Apadana. I hope Sean Bean will help us a bit out with that. Yeah, please. The Apadana. Now, if you look at this thing <laughs> online, I am underwhelmed. What is this? Dan, do you know anything about the Apadana? One does not simply just build an Apadana. 
No, I, I don't know much about it. And actually, I didn't Google it. I, I, I checked out. I knew a little bit about the ma mausoleum of Halicarnassus, but I know nothing about the Apadana. So if you give me two seconds, I'll look it up right now. Well, it looks like it's in Iran or was because for the pictures. Yeah, it was look part like of uh, Persopolis. Oh, well, it while, was a palace there. While we're looking it up, let, let's read over what happens here. So must be built next to the capital city center. Instantly get two envoys. Get two envoys every time you build another wonder at the same city. So really about influencing city-states. So immediately you get plus two envoys, and then for every other wonder you build, you're getting plus two. Every other wonder you build at the same city. I want to make that clear. So you've got to wonder pack your capital city, which I already do. Which is usually not a great, uh, not a difficult <laughs> thing because that oh. is like the place with a lot of production usually. Yeah. I personally let all my trade routes always run from my capital just to make sure that he had an insane amount of production to build these wonders and stuff. So yeah, great thing. Yeah, I uh, I think that that'll be awesome. And that's that's something like I've been complaining about this in our past couple shows that I wanted different ways to get envoys. And this is one of them. Uh, it is going to directly affect me. I mean, I, I probably will net out with trying to think if I have this guy in my capital, I'll probably still have another two to three wonders there. Let's say two to be conservative. So it would be this guy plus two. So we're looking at, I would be looking at six envoys just out of the wonder game, period. Um, so that's that's an interesting amount. That's 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 a good chunk that it would at least buy uh, basic, well, you'd get all the perks of at least one city-state. So, interesting. Yeah, and especially because this wonder, like these are all early uh, game wonders. So in the beginning of the game, the extra two envoys actually helps out quite a lot, can give you, for example, two extra signs uh, mm -hmm. for two city-states if you put one of them in each and that's four extra signs in a place where you might net 10 or 12 or something like that that's a huge boon that is i wonder where this is going to come in priority wise um meaning I mean, we'll have to see where it falls in the civics tree or the um uh the the, the science tree but i you know i'm curious to see what it bumps out of my current production order or what i currently rush for uh wonders so we'll just have to wait and see what that looks like I think I read one of them was with political philosophy. Oh. But I'm not certain which one. I think it was the second one. And the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, maybe around construction. Because I think it was usually a construction wonder where it unlocked or something like that. So 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 around there, maybe masonry actually. That would make sense. Dan, yeah. any any results in your search for the Apadana? <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I should have known this because it's, it's, it was designed originally by Darius the Great, and then it was completed by Xerxes the First. So, two uh -huh. of the most prominent and significant um, emperors of the Persian Empire. So, it, it was—it's a building that was located in Susa, which is kind of the, the beating heart of the of Persepolis at the time. And um, I, it doesn't look like it served much in terms of ceremonial purpose. It was a palace, and it was meant. The construction of the columns was meant to signify the upstanding social order of the empire at the time, which is kind of cool. But um, it's it's not a uh, it's not a wonder that I know a heck of a lot about. And I don't think it's a wonder that a lot of people know about. Frankly, I'm trying to see if the ruins of it are still standing. It um, kind of looked like it from what I saw online. Yeah, pieces of it. Yeah, yeah. you can see it looks like Pillars. seven or eight spires sticking up into the sky that I guess were the foundational spires of it, but the roof is knocked off of it. I tell you what, 
I will have a historical minute next week Ooh, on both of these new wonders. Huh? That's awesome. I think that's, that's great. totally relevant because what I wanted to say here before we cap off our wonder talk is we're getting one wonder from each civilization. So Museum of Halicarnassus being a Greek wonder and uh, the Apadana being uh, a Persian one. So that's cool. I like the thematics of it. That's the way it should be. So, in the essence of time, let's hurry over here and talk about Alexander the Great, because this is a, a much, uh, I'm sure, a much-wanted person, right? Right? We do want him in the game. I know people want to punch his <laughs> face, but, uh, I mean, come on. He was a big player in Civ Five, and always irked me, because he would always win the favorite. Big player in general. Yeah. Yes, in yeah. general. You're right. He is a guy that we know of. Okay, starting off, national ability. Uh, we get Hellenistic fusion. Every time a city is conquered, Macedon gets a bonus based on the districts present in the city. So every time a city's conquered, they get a bonus based on the districts present in that city. So whenever you conquer someone that has, what, a campus going on, you're going to get bonuses to science? Uh, what I think is what is I right? saw is that you get a inspiration. Oh no! And I oh. think it's Eureka for science, so an, insp an inspiration for uh, theater districts. And I think we also saw that if they conquer a city who has a wonder, all your units heal. Oh, interesting! That's cool. That is uh, leader yeah, ability like to the uh, to the world's end. Macedon incurs less war weariness. That's good. That'll help me. <laughs> Because I always suffer a bit of war weariness because I'm always at war. And what yeah, I saw, these... it was a really significant reduction as well, like a lot nice. less weariness. Yeah, these two, the, the national ability and the leader ability, they synergize really well. I mean, this is clearly a domination focused Civ. Hello. <laughs> yeah. But this also means, uh, you know, if, if that's going to take away a lot of war weariness, that means you're going to probably free up a policy slot eventually because. I'll typically throw in that war weariness card or both of them. And that might mean that I can reduce those, you know, take those away and just kind of rely on his natural leader ability. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, gee, how do we say this one, guys? Leader unit is the Hatario? Hatario? Hatiroi. Hatiroi. Yeah. Okay. Horseman replacement. That's heavy cavalry. It's faster and comes with a free promotion. Voucher, you were mentioning a little bit about this, I believe, the other day. Is that right? About uh, uh, cavalry and heavy cavalry having kind of a resurgence? Or did I make cavalry is by far the strongest power in the game so far. The extra mobility is so much more worth it than the, the, uh, the what is it? The paper, scissor paper, rock, paper, scissors game. There we go. <laughs> I was like, what is that thing where we start with? Rock, paper, scissors game. It, it can pretty much be negated as long as you have uh, good units. And this unit being faster and get a free promotion, it's really, really good. Hmm. It's really, really good. Yeah, I agree. And I think I love heavy cavalry or cavalry in general, unique units. I love the winged Hussar from Poland. And I think that um, this, I, I'm the aesthetic looks cool. And the bonuses of it seem really rad. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked on it for sure. It's faster and comes with a free promotion automatically. So that's, that's a bonus too. 
I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I haven't really utilized that much cavalry. Uh, I do on occasion, especially when it's a long distance battle, but this, um, this is gonna encourage me to do so even more. So I'm excited to get yeah. into the cavalry game. If you really want to get into a cavalry game heavy, I highly suggest playing Poland. I, I love the winged Hussar. It's one of my favorite units in the entire game. I am curious to see how the Hatiroi stacks up against it. I'm trying to think, are there, we got the Saka Horse Archer. What are there any other cavalry unique units? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, I can't either. Let's see. The, so you have the, 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 you have the Scythia with the Horse Archer, and you have Poland with the uh, Winged Hussars. And yeah, you get the Marianu Chariot Archer from Egypt too. Is the oh, other right. one I could think. Oh yeah. yeah. I think that's it. The Mamluk. The Mamluk. Who's who oh, that? the Mamluk from uh, Arabia. Yeah, true. Oh, no, but it's, yeah, yeah, it's a heavy cap, yeah. Oh, see, the Arabia and Egypt are two that I have n- maybe never played a game of. Huh. Interesting. Same with you. Arabia's cool. Yeah, I, I really actually should do that one. I should play Arabia soon. What's wrong with me? Okay, I'm <laughs> not pronouncing the next name. I'm going to let someone else do it. Tell us about the leader unit, someone. No, unique unit, I mean. All right, Hippos- I got it. Hippos... Hippos- Oh God! See now, now you got me. It's always easier when I flum, uh, yeah. flum <laughs> screw it up at first. <laughs> the hypothesis, um, and then you yeah. guys get to come in on your white horses and look like the guys that know how to pronounce things. <laughs> we get to come in on our hatiroys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, okay, so this is yeah. a swordsman replacement. Uh, funny, that's parallel to. Uh, Persia's, but it's a swordsman replacement that gains extra combat strength when besieging districts. Uh, let's see. Um, maybe city centers count, so we don't know for sure. But also gets extra bonus, extra support bonuses. Uh, so that guy sounds pretty cool all around. Yeah, I think that you will really use that um, specifically when you're sieging encampments. I can see because the encampment is the one, of course, that causes you the most trouble, um, especially around mid game. So I, I don't necessarily it's a swordsman replacement, so it's pretty early game. But I could definitely see this as being beneficial when you're going up against an encampment. Yeah, I was gonna ask. The biggest benefit, the biggest benefit of this guy is it's better than a swordsman, and it doesn't require iron. And the oh, fact that yeah. it doesn't require iron is awesome. I think I might have found one of my. Th- I am gonna bet that uh, Alexander is definitely one of my new favorite leaders and civilizations in the game. He just seems so geared towards <laughs> my style of play that I mean, he might dethrone uh, Germany for me. And that it's- hair. That hair. It's probably the favorite and the most hated unit as well, mainly because everybody who's going to get go up against him will hate him immensely. And I think that that, that kind of question of does this get a bonus when attacking city centers? That if that is true, that it did, does get that bonus. I mean, we're talking about something massive there that changes a lot. Yeah, yeah you're talking about one of the best unique units in the game if it gets a bonus against city centers. I Agreed. Mean, these are these are snowballing towards domination domination, frankly. Yeah, definitely. Okay, here I go. Our unique building is the Basilicoi Pade. Damn close, sir. You got the first word <laughs> right. It's Pitus. Pitus. That is not how <laughs> I would spell Pitus. So take Nor that, I. Macedonia. Uh, Greeks did. Well, apparently. 
Good on that. Well, and where are they today? Uh, unique <laughs> barracks. <laughs> I don't think we have any Greek listeners. Uh, not in the statistics, at least. So huzzah. Not anymore. Yeah, they got some things. Um, okay, unique barracks replacement that yields science when a non-civilian unit is trained. It also gives additional bonuses when training certain military units. So, saying that again, you... Get yield science when training non-civilian units. So that's kind of obvious, right? I mean, if it's a barracks, you don't really get a bonus to civilian units anyway. But this one's going to give you science. So that's kind of cool. So they're going to gain tech faster by fielding an army. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, also gives additional bonuses when training certain military units. Do Does that mean that it's going to be the, our own, like our own unique units or... Curious to see who gets that. Maybe it will be something like melee units in general, or anything that would fall under the the yeah the melee class. But I'm not sure. That's the thing. We 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 aren't really clear about what these bonuses exactly mean. These are semi speculations. I must add. I was going to tack that on. I mean, this week we're all asking a bunch of questions to one another because it is one of those weeks that we have been teased with so much information and it sounds really cool, but we are lacking the finite details. So whenever we get this info, we're going to come back and hit this stuff hard with our take on it. But for now, we just have to sit around and scratch our heads a bit. Uh, I'll toss it to you two. I am really in love with the idea that you're going to get science yields uh, from training units. I mean, come on. Yeah, I think it's it's good. I mean, you always want to have a backup or secondary kind of um, bonus condition of the four victory conditions, just in case for whatever reason, the first one you can't fulfill. And I mean, Alexander clearly leans in heavily onto domination. So it's nice to know that science is there with some kind of bonus to give you some kind of backup condition. The truly great sieves are the ones that allow you you know, not just theoretically, but also tangibly to win comfortably with more than one condition. And I could see this as uh, really being beneficial towards a science victory. That being said, they're clearly doubling down on a domination victory with um, Alexander. And I should say, and Vouter, I don't know if you would agree with me on this. He seems significantly more powerful out of the gate here than Persia. I would fully agree. He looks Mm -hmm. really powerful. The thing is, you don't have to win through domination by doing a lot of early conquests. A lot of early conquests probably puts you in a better position than any other AI that is in there, which allows you to win in other ways. You don't have to continue your conquest spree until the late game. Because this is a lot of uh, its uh, bonuses are focused as well on the early game. He has a lot of better uh, early game units and stuff like that. So in the early game, you probably want to conquer a couple of city-states, a couple of empires, those kinds of things. But then when you have your nice big empire, you might settle down and just play the tech game, for example. And whenever you have nothing really to do or you have some cities without a garrison, pump out some... Uh, units in a place that has barracks, the unique barracks, the Basilicoid Pides, and get some extra science from that. I mean, he has options because you, it doesn't have to end with you conquering the world. And I, I think that what we're going to see here is, I mean, that to me, the idea of you getting that science is really going to pay off in terms of being able to kind of snowball from like, let's build up this massive army. Okay, we're getting tech bonuses. Um, so now we're going to have stronger units on the field. And then if we go over and use uh, that unique, uh, what is it, the unique civilization bonus there, 
uh, the national ability to get, uh, you know, stuff every time you conquer a city in terms of, you know, science bonuses or healing your units, that's going to be really, really powerful. I think we're going to... It probably makes sure that you... Because every time a city is conquered, it also means you can conquer a couple of city-states yeah. without declaring war on the rest, right? Yeah. So e even if you don't want to take on the, these big other empires, you can just conquer a couple of city-states and still get some bonuses as well. I think so. Oh, man, I'm so excited for this. I cannot wait. So um, just to kind of recap what we... Let's see. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get this the spring patch. Hopefully we get it soon. Um, let's maybe transition on to the, the touchy subject here which is the cost of this dlc now this is all speculation but this has been something that's been culminating for a while i mean we've seen it with every release of dlc people have been saying am i getting my money's worth if i bought the digital deluxe to begin with and we're here to kind of say mm, i don't know i mean there's there's more conversation about it happening on on reddit and youtube i've seen some videos about it and even some speculation between the three of us that we're thinking, you know, they are releasing two leaders or two civilizations because people are so so nervous about not getting their money was worth. Um, Valter, you and I, we both did Digital Deluxe. Is that right? You did it? I did it at least, yes. Okay. And Dan, you're buying them one at a time, right? Yeah, I am. But I bought them all. Well, sorry. No, that's not true. I didn't buy the Vikings one. But I am buying Civ-based ones. All. See? I don't know. I feel like um, I, I don't love the idea that we paid for the Viking DLC, uh, the scenario pack, which I would never have bought on my own. And that's a real bummer to me. Um, when we look at pricing here, and I admit I don't have all the full figures right in front of me, but uh, you know, we came to the conclusion that if this, if this DLC does not run any more than $5 on the Steam store, which obviously we want them to keep costs low. We don't want people shelling out tons of money. But if it's $5, then there was no benefit to anyone buying the Digital Deluxe. Am I saying that right, guys? Actually, there is. if you're paying in euros, you actually pay more. Because the Digital Deluxe in euros costs uh, $79.99. The normal game is $59.99. And every DLC is four ninety nine, so you actually lost about what three cents on it or something like that. Yikes! Ooh, for access, yeah. that's a no in, no. Guys. In, in Canadian dollars, I think that the uh, the deluxe was ten dollars more, um, and each of these uh, DLC packs at this point have been five dollars. So I guess up here in the north, uh, the Great White North. If you uh, decided to pay the extra ten bucks, you've got you've made five dollars. But I, you know, I don't know, man. Like it, for me, with this, and I'm buying them individually, so I can say this: I'm comfortable paying ten dollars for um, DLC that has two separate sieves, and it should be noted has two wonders in it as well, which I think are important. But I think about something like the Vikings pack, and it, it's one that we've talked about at length here. Um, that was $5, and the only thing to me in there that I ever would have even really cared about is the three natural wonders, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to pay more than, like, two bucks for that because I'm just not going to play the scenario. It's fine if you do it. I know the scenario is great, but and I know there's a scenario in this one, too, it should be noted. There's a, an Alexander the Great-driven scenario, right? Yeah, I believe so. I yeah. played that on uh, the, the stream recently, so... Yeah, definitely. You know me. They're pushing I'm, scenarios. I'm really pro for Axis, but on this one, I, I have to say that just feels like they're trying to put it in a fancier package to be like, yeah, we know we kind of screwed you guys and you're not really happy. So here's more stuff that we're going to just pad it with. You're going to get two two civilizations that with their leaders. You're going to get uh, two wonders 
and a scenario pack. It feels like an apology, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess I can argue that if there are two leaders in here, then that does make up for me the Viking pack, right? Like, it, you could look at retroactively and say, okay, yeah, I've got this Viking pack that I wouldn't have bought, but I would have bought a leader, and at least now I'm getting two, so I can kind of slap it over it like a Band-Aid. But maybe, overall... Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But that's that's also the thing. Like, if they're going to charge five bucks for this one as well, that makes the Viking pack super terrible all of a sudden. And I, I and I didn't mind getting the Viking pack. I liked it, especially the natural ones in there. I'm a okay with it. I was going to buy it anyway if it didn't get a digital lux. But if this one is going to be five bucks again, then I'm like, why did I shell out that money? for the digital deluxe uh, but not getting any benefit at all actually there's zero benefit for me paying that money early there's a lot for them but none for me so i expect they understand that and will make the current pack i my guess would be eight eight dollars uh, which also means eight euros then but yeah be about twelve dollars for me which is fine tw- yeah and i don't think they will go higher because there's <laughs> purely not enough in there and at least I hope they don't go higher. And this way, the people who had the digital lux, I uh, got a little bit of benefit out of it. Not that much, but at least enough for me to say, yeah, it was worth it. I but that will be really curious to see. I, I have to say, and you know, again, this is me. I'm usually their cheerleader. But I also have to say that if you were a person that bought the... Actually, if we have listeners that bought the physical deluxe, like the collector's edition version, please let us know your thoughts on that. Because I was someone that had subscribed to actually... I I'd pre-ordered the, um, the physical collectors, which I think was that coin set that they were releasing. And I canceled that primarily because I wanted to play the game as soon as I could get my hands on it digitally. But that also felt like a really lackluster uh, promotion. And I know that we're throwing it back to October here, but I mean, we are still talking about this is the digital deluxe pre-order set. So I don't know. For for a Civilization game that at least in my mind was as hyped as it was, uh, those that whole collectors and, and the pre-order, all of that stuff felt very... I don't know if mismanaged is the word, because I don't know if that's the case, but it just felt very underwhelming. I would have rather had something yeah. a little bit more tangible. I mean, I'm a guy that owns all the World of Warcraft collector's editions, like religiously buys them every time. And I would have loved to have made that claim to fame. I mean, I, I own the collectors for Skyrim and all kinds of other stuff. I do that. But to cancel an order uh, kind of hits home. It's like I wish they had done something more impressive. Literally all games have um, deluxe editions and collector's editions and stuff now. And and it really says a lot about a company, what they include in it. Like some companies will include things like statuettes or hoodies mm-hmm. and things that I don't think a lot of people necessarily need, but they'll buy them because it's neat to have. Yeah. I've bought one collector's edition of a game in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I look at games that I really, really want and I just, I don't gravitate towards the collector's editions. And I mean, I guess I'm kind of being vindicated as it pertains to that when it comes to Civ, because I did consider getting the deluxe edition because I was like, oh, four DLC, uh, balance it out. Well, I haven't bought one of the DLCs and it looks like I'm going to be at least even because I'll probably buy this and it'll probably be 10 bucks. So to me, eh, Hmm. I'm with you. I really like like the collector's editions uh, thing. Um, 
I remember Fallout 4 had a really good collector's edition where you would get an actual physical Pip-Boy, which you could use with your phone in there and actually function in the cool. game as well. That was really cool. Oh, so and that was sold everywhere a lot. Like, everybody wanted it. Like, those kinds of collector's editions that actually give you something really, really cool, I would want that. But unfortunately, when I saw the collector's edition for Civilization, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Uh, I don't want to pay that extra money for that, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish I would have won. I, I wish they had something in there that would make me say, like, yes, I need this. I'm a big fan of this series. And if I don't get this, I feel sad the rest of my life. Right. And they, they have another chance at uh, Civ 7, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it, Valder. I like to, if it's, if it's one that I, if it's a, if it's a game franchise that I really love and want to be able to have it and hold it and be proud that I got it and support them in that way. Awesome. But I did look at these ceremonial, uh, commemorative coin things as they're calling them. And I was like, that's just going to sit on my shelf and I'm not that impressed with it. So, uh, you know, and I don't think the, I, I would have actually, I'm always a fan if you can get the, the CD with it, like the actual soundtrack of things. I know Blizzard does that with a lot of their games, but looking oh, at yeah. this, uh, it, I don't think it was the case because I, I pulled it up again online and it was full Civ 6 game and all, and all bonus digital content found in the digital deluxe edition. Okay. Aztec Civilization pre-order bonus, which we talked about was kind of whatever, uh, Civilization Through the Years hardcover art book. Usually, I, I really enjoy having those. I mean, Skyrim, I got the the little statuette of the dragon, and um, it had the, uh, the art book there, and all the Blizzard stuff gives an art book. And it says exclusive fifth or 25th anniversary commemorative coin set with display case. No thanks. Because that was it, right? It was okay. not even like the, the collector's edition. It was pretty much an anniversary edition for the, for the Civilization series. Yeah. And for an anniversary edition, I would have liked something especially cooler. Um, 25 like they years had is a big. really cool set, like recently, the, a really limited where you get the working sextant and stuff yeah. in there. That was cool. That is, I mean, I it was expensive and very limited, but that was something that I would have wanted. I watched Quill eighteen open up because uh, he got he got that le- he got that uh, shoulder strap messenger bag sort of thing, and yeah. the sextant. You're right. Those are really cool things. Those are kind of things that I wouldn't mind getting. Yeah. That I would shell out some extra money for, definitely. But these coins, I'm not a coin collector. Nope. Well, maybe some of the people who like to play this game who are a little bit older are coin collectors and love that stuff, but that's not for me. Agreed. Okay, guys, we are running a little over time here. So how about we get a hop in on your, your minutes um, and people are going to get some extra details this time around. So just to be clear, next week, um, we, while our conversations might get a little pushed because, you know, hopefully we have these awesome leaders and can report back on that. But Dan had a great topic to talk about Civ lore. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Hint, hint, we might be chatting a little bit about Gandhi. And then uh, last week, we also promised we we're going to talk about making friends with other civs. Love to talk about that still. And uh, hopefully this week we can can also get in and play with some modded leaders because that store, the uh, the workshop is starting to have more and more and more. I saw um, Louis the Fourteenth up there, so really excited for that one. Uh, but Dan, do you want to give us a little uh, a historical minute in your your civ of the week? Absolutely. So I kind of gave a similar minute to this like ten episodes ago, twelve episodes ago. But I thought with the release of Cyrus, it was it was appropriate. Um, and there was a lot of lore between Tamiris, the leader of the Scythians in the game, and Cyrus, the leader of Persia. Um, 
as you may recall, I think it's Tamiris's, I believe it's her unique leader ability is called um, Killer of Cyrus. Is that what it's called? Hmm. Let's see. I'm, I think so. I'm looking it up for yeah. you again. Yeah, you can look that up. We share it at the end. But anyway, it, it's it it's an inherent bonus, I believe, um, where she, oh gosh, I can't, I can't remember yes. off the top of my head what her bonus is. That is, I, it's I Killer can't. of Cyrus. All units receive plus five combat strength when attacking wounded units. And then they heal Thank you. 50 points. I sound like an idiot That's when fine. I can't remember that kind of stuff. That's but anyway, she ability. also has, yeah, it is. She also has that uh, leader bias, which is that she really dislikes surprise wars, right? <laughs> yes. That's her agenda. Yeah, it's her agenda, which um, flies in the face of Cyrus's um, bonuses towards surprise wars, which is uh, kind of a neat little synergy there. And the reason that you might see a direct kind of synergy is because these two do have a historical relationship. Um, Tamiris is noted by many um, ancient and classical historians, particularly the famous uh, Herodotus, as being the ruler who killed Cyrus. Now, this is this is contentious. Some historians, Xenophon among them, um, say that Cyrus died in his bed. Others say he died being poisoned. So the death of Cyrus is not really confirmed. But in Herodotus's history, and it's the one I like, so it's the one I stick with, um, Cyrus led an assault on the Scythian territory of Massagetae. And as he was doing that, uh, they were kind of driven out once they uh, were successful by um, Scythians. And as they were retreating, um, they basically set up a trap in the Scythian camps on Cyrus's suggestion. And in that, what they did was they uh, they basically swapped out Scythian um, drinks. So Scyth- the Scythians weren't used to alcohol at this point, right? So they swapped out Scythian drink for wine. And so the pastoral Scythians are sitting in their camps and they're drinking what I guess they thought was fermented mare's milk or something like that. And what they're actually drinking is wine. And so the Scythians in these camps got super, super drunk because they weren't used to alcohol or at least this kind of alcohol. And so as they're presumably stumbling around the camps, the Persians attacked them while they were incapacitated and were largely victorious. But in the end... Samiris, whose son, by the way, um, Scar, oh gosh, what's his name? Scarpagiris, something like that. I, can't, I don't have it in the notes, but his name is something super, super Scythian, um, was captured by, uh, by Cyrus and Cyrus's army. And so all of this kind of, I guess, really pissed Tamiris off. So in the end, um, she denounced Cyrus. Alasive, that's kind of what you do, right? You denounce your enemy. And eventually, through one skirmish or another, Cyrus was killed. And Tamiris, as was, you know, in vogue at the time, had Cyrus's corpse beheaded. She had his head shoved into a wineskin filled with human blood. And she had that wineskin brought before her court, which included many prisoners of the Persian Empire. And Famously, according to Herodotus, she said to this beheaded um, Cyrus that, quote, I warned you that I would quench your thirst for blood, and so I shall. So she was, that's kind of her mic drop moment, that she had Cyrus killed and she had his head brought to her in a wineskin as kind of a quid pro quo, presumably, for the uh, wine poisoning incident that happened to her troops in their camps. So again, this is this is kind of a, 
a contentious history, I guess you could say, because Herodotus says it's true, whereas others say that Cyrus died peacefully and others say that he died in other circumstances. One of those oddities of history, um, but it is a really cool one and it's one that, that I subscribe to and it's one that really adds to kind of the lore behind Civ as well. So next time you go into one of these games playing as Tamiris or playing as Cyrus and you come up against your opposite, well, don't go trying to make um, an alliance with them because it's probably not going to happen. I love it. That's going to be so fun. Oh, good, t- good, uh, good historical minute, Dan. That that made me laugh out loud. Actually, I didn't even yeah. realize that was her uh, the name of her bonus. So that's really funny. I, I'm actually, good of Phyrexis yeah. that they actually combined those two with the uh, love for surprise wars and hatred for surprise <laughs> wars together as well. Absolutely. And just one more quick thing. If you want to read about the history of um, Tamiris, and I believe there's a decent amount of history of Cyrus in there. There's a great book, and I recommended a book last year on Roman history. Read a book called Carthage Must Be Destroyed. Um, It's a history of ancient empires. I don't remember who it's by. Um, if you give me one sec, I'll look it up. Valter, I recommended that one to you last week, I think, didn't I? Yes, you did. We're going to have to get a book list going on the website or something. Dan's, Dan's historical recommendations. Go buy these. Huh? It was by Richard Miles. Yeah, Richard Miles. Thank you. That's one of the books I recommend to my uh, world history students if they want to get a good background on these ancient empires. Because there's not a lot of info on it. But, you know, these classical historians are experts in collecting what scant info there is. Love it. That's amazing. I'm so excited to put these two in a game together and, and make them duke it out. <laughs> I just want to I I watch the surprise wars happen, and I want to watch her get <laughs> mad about the surprise wars happening. And then, and then you know, maybe deliver Cyrus. When you defeat Cyrus, you can, in your mind, have that kind of metagame where you're delivering his head to your court, encased in a wineskin filled with human blood. Like, that's just so badass. Yay! Yes. That's a happy day. Valter, uh, speaking uh, speaking of trying to get there to victory, how, how what is your strategy tip of the week? How am I going to improve my gameplay? So we have been focusing a little bit on how do you start your game? What will your build order be? And I propose that you should start with a builder and go for settlers after that. But it does leave your empire a little bit undefended, not only from the AI, but your main enemy in the beginning will be barbarians. And therefore, I'm going to tell you now how I propose that you handle your first warrior unit and subsequent units. What I propose is that scouting is important in this game, but a lot less than it was in previous games. So when you go scout around with your warrior that you initially have, don't go too far away from your initial city. You want to use that warrior mainly to defend yourself against the barbarian influences that might come towards you. So when you go around for scouting, go around in a circle around your city. Make sure that the direct vicinity of your uh, city is covered by a scout because barbarian encampments do uh, pop up visible to you if you have once discovered that place. So it's still in the fog of war, but not in terra incognita, more or less. You can still see when they pop up. And... I would also recommend place those spins on those encampments so you know very well where they are. And when they are close to your city and there is nobody else around there, if there's a city-state around there, you can be less worried about it because either the city-state will take care of the encampment or the barbarians will go towards the city-state. But if that is not the case, expect them to come for you and expect them to come for you with more units than you want. So be proactive, clear those encampments. You will also get a bonus from it with some extra gold. 
And when you're at that, eventually you will come to a point where you, on a standard game, reach 160 gold. And I would propose you immediately buy a warrior with that. Don't spend time building your units, but use your gold for buying that extra warrior. And use that as well to keep your surroundings clear so that you don't get any barbarian invasion into your core territory. What happens around there, uh, beyond that, that's not your problem. City-states and AI can deal with that. But your core territory needs to be clean and you need to be actively pursuing that. Next time I'm going to tell you more about what to research uh, for both your technology and your civics. Love it. Thank you very much, Valter. I think those are some great tips, and I, I have to agree. I'm not a big scouter these days, so uh, I'm all for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that to heart about buying the warrior next time. I'm, I'm a guy that kind of saves for trade routes. I think I'm going to try your new method today. Good luck. Thank you, thank you. Okay, everyone, so we had a little bit longer of an episode this week. We had a lot of news to cover, and hopefully next week we will have even more once we get some of these sieves out. Fingers crossed. I'm really hoping to get them. I really want to play Alexander and, and just bulldoze some sieves. So... <laughs> If you guys have any feedback, which we highly encourage, we've got, I think, at least one piece to get to next week. But if you've got some feedback for us, tell us your thoughts on some of these Civ leaders that are coming out. Tell us what you think about their bonuses. We would love to hear it, and we'd love to have that conversation. You can email that to civcastpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use our website, which is kyledempsterstudios.com backslash civcast. And there is a submission form at the bottom of the page. At the top of the page, however, you're going to find all your links to subscribe to the show, to listen live right from your, your webpage, all that good stuff. Um, excellent page to send off to your friends that you want to listen to or have them listen to our show. Reminder that we are over at Patreon, and that is patreon.com backslash civcast. We're posting all of our, our cold opens to the episodes. We're getting all those up there. Also, uh, I believe Valter has an upcoming strategy session that he's going to be doing in the next, uh, I think for next week. Is that right, Valter? Yes, soon. Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. And Kyle, yes. I can do a historical uh, extra next week. Excellent. So uh, if we record that next week, it'll probably be out. I think we're going to do it middle of the month. So Valter's tip will come out early in April, and then uh, middle of the month, you'll get to look forward to Dan's historical extra, I think is what we're calling that, if memory serves. Um, but anyway, if you need any links to the shows, any anything like that, they are all in your podcast uh, notes page or d description, however, whatever your app chooses to call that. We've been really diligent about putting all the links there, so nice and easy to click into that. You don't have to guess. You don't have to listen back to the episode and say, what was the, how do I email them? Nope, right there. As a last reminder, we are over on Twitter at, uh, it's at Civ underscore cast. I am over there at Kyle Dempster 7. Dan is there at Dan the Max. And Valter is there at Innocentia 69. Oh, I should say one last thing. And so not the last reminder, but the final reminder is to go over to our uh, Reddit page or subreddit, I should say. That is r backslash civcast and you will be able to join in the conversation there i know vouchers over there uh, answering people's questions and we've got a lot of people sharing their uh, civcast challenge stories so very very cool and thanks uh thanks for last week we were having that funny conversation about uh Valter using those siege towers and somehow craning his tanks up to the top and dumping them over the wall. And one of our awesome listeners posted a great picture of a siege tower that is a tank. So go look at that. <laughs> I, I loved it. I want that. Can someone mod that into the game for us? I, I also said I really would use that if that would be in the game. Oh, I love it's it. It's so cool. Well, we do need future tech. So uh, someday <laughs> we'll get some future tech in this game and, and maybe that'll come with it. So until next week, everyone. Just one more turn.
You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.